Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Uh, Jeffrey Wolf's illuminating documentary film, Bill Trailer, Chasing Ghost, explores the life of a unique American artist, a man with a remarkable and unlikely biography. Bill Trailer was born into slavery in 1853 on a cotton plantation in rural Alabama. After the Civil War, Trailer continued to farm as a sharecropper until the 1920s. And from there, his, his life takes an amazing turn in terms of him becoming an artist and his life, not only in Alabama, but also briefly in Chicago. There, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic documentary about a remarkable artist. And uh, we're joined today by the director, Jeffrey Wolf, as well as the producer, Sam Pollard. Again, the film is called Bill Trailer Chasing Ghost. To both of you, welcome back, Sam, and welcome to Film School Radio, Jeffrey. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll start with you, Jeffrey. Uh, how did you become aware of um, Bill Trailer? Yeah, yeah. I just want to say one thing about your introduction that I think is uh, kind of interesting is that I'm not sure Bill Trailer ever thought of himself as an artist, per se. I think that it was something that kind of came out of him and he was selling things on the street. But that, that word artist is kind of a, I'm not sure that that's how his perception of himself would be. You know, what is an artist ultimately? <laughs> and these labels, the labels, a lot of what we talk about in the movie are the kind of labels that get put on, on people rather than talking about the art itself. Um, I first saw the work, I was already kind of predisposed to this kind of uh, self-taught material. I had gone to college and met a woodcarver named Elijah Pierce who became kind of a famous artist in his own right. And in 1982, I came upon Trailer's work at the Corcoran Gallery of Art lying on the floor ready to be hung for a show and it just blew my mind and I uh, never kind of forgot it and so as time went on I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and trying to un unravel what it was and when I got the opportunity to make a film about it I went for it. I do want to get into kind of a, sort of a characterization of the visual style but the one thing that jumps out at me just in terms of the documentary and Bill Trailer's life is his lifespan. Mm -hmm. He was born in 1853. Sam, I want to ask you about this sort of remarkable lifespan, 1853 to 1949. And if you look at what he lived through and lived lived, and what was pressing down upon him during the, his 90 plus years on the planet, it's remarkable. The Civil War reconstruction, sharecropping, modernization of in, infrastructure and in, in, industrialization, pardon me, the Great Depression, jazz, and the beginning of the civil rights movement is, is Sam, that's, that's a remarkable kind of time frame to live through. You're absolutely correct, Mike. I mean, listen, I have grandparents who lived after reconstruction, were born after reconstruction. So for this person to be born during slavery, to live after, be living after slavery is the Emancipation Proclamation, to be living during the rise of the reconstruction period and then the rise of Jim Crow it's an amazing journey arc that, he's, that he took. I mean, wow, he definitely comes a lot of history. And for me, as a filmmaker who's, as you know, delved into this story, this history through the rise and fall of Jim Crow and slavery by another name, MLK FBI, when, when Jeff first approached me 
and showed me a rough cut of this film, I was not only impressed with his art, but I was impressed with the historical trajectory of his life. I mean, it's just amazing that he covers so much of, a, of American history, such an important part of American history. Yeah, he was he was eight years old, I believe, or yeah, eight years old when the Civil War started. So he had a cognitive, you know, sort of time frame in which to understand the world around him and then to live through the Civil War, living in Alabama, for yeah. God's sake, I mean, and all of the attendant, all of that, that this is a, just an incredible life experience. Jeffrey. You know, Mike, also without um, knowing all the facts about his life, because, you know, people who were poor and, and black and indigent didn't have records kept quite as well as other people, but he lived within a 40 mile radius of where he grew up for his entire, yeah. most of his life. That's and so we were very lucky to kind of come up with the idea of showing what happened from his purview, meaning we could tell the entire history as we knew it from that time period and kind of assume that he would have somehow or other heard, at least heard about some of the things that happened. So that gave us this, it kind of gave us a way into the story. Just to reiterate that point, we do know the, the impact that the Civil War had on the plantation he was working on. And also something I didn't know about, of course, I'm always finding out things about this period of time that are just shocking beyond words, but that, uh, that, that when they were, when they essentially came into that, there was one last cavalry charge through Alabama to sort of free up, it, 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 the intent was to break the, the South, break the, 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 the military capability of the South. But in freeing these people from these plantations, they had no... There was no um, directive. There was no procedure to help the people who were being freed. They were just left in the wake of this, the military. Uh, not only that, I mean, that's a, that's a very astute observation in that, in that it was only about four or five, this happened only about four or five days before, you know, um, the end of the Civil War. I mean, they marched on Montgomery and this was, these were the Northern soldiers who, rampaged through the lands and destroyed things along the way it wasn't you know it wasn't the south retreating it, it it was um it was you know the northern army kind of having their way with people so but one of the things sam and i talk about is just what you said a little earlier too is we learn about these banner phrases like um phrases i mean parts of history reconstruction jim crow but we never learned kind of the in we were never taught that in between time period and that's one of the things the movie tries to take on as well as to fill in some of those gaps for people. One of the things this is a sort of uh, an aside. I hope it's a relevant aside. I found out fairly recently, again, something else I didn't know, which was the, uh, the emancipation of Texas and why Juneteenth is, is relevant is because for two years, apparently, the leadership of Texas tried their best to find a way out from under having to emancipate the slaves and were making overtures to Mexico for some sort of governing alliance with them in order to be able to hold on to slavery. Is that, is, is have you heard this? Have you, are you, I'm just familiar well, with this. I don't know if you are or not, but. I'm familiar with it. You I'm are, okay. And, and also the Tom Hanks movie that's on you know right now, News of the World, that takes that's exactly that story is that he's traveling through texas and they haven't accepted the fact that the emancipation proclamation happened and they're still fighting it and they fought it for several years after 
Sam, is, is anything to add to that or just, just. No, you, you're right on. I mean, exactly. That's what Texas was trying to do. That's why Juneteenth is, Juneteenth is celebrated there because it took so long for African-Americans to realize that they were no longer under the, the yoke of slavery, you know. The way it came to me was this was just a matter of communications. You know, when I was told about Juneteenth and what sort of the history of it, it was just, well, they just had a hard time getting that information to them. But this was actively. Mike, you, should, you, should, Mike, you shouldn't be surprised. Well, no, I, well, I guess, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be surprised, America, but, I can, but, I can still, surprised. but I can still be shocked, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's go back to Bill Trailer and his, and his, his life. Uh, I, I want to talk about his, he was, he became quite a prolific and accomplished farmer. And he also was prolific in other parts of his life in terms of his relationships with uh, the women in his life. So he's, he, what I, I guess what I'm, what I want to get to with him about him, about Bill Trailer, is all of these different influences and considerations that were going on in his life. Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of that part of what influenced him, what made him who he was, and especially as we get to know him as an artist? Well, I would say this. I would say here is, this is an African-American man who grew up in the bowels of slavery as a young, you know, and he came and he was, yeah, as you said, he was eight years old when the Civil War started, but he also was a teenager when slavery ended. But he was a person who, because of slavery, was wedded to the land. Like many African Americans, some there were you know there were some African Americans who were free who didn't know what to do or where to go. I mean that's not unusual, and and the, and the fact that many of them were going to become sharecroppers working for people who had been in, in you know enslaved them isn't unusual. I mean, you know my family's originally from Mississippi, and my 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 grandfather and his sons they worked the land. They had their own land, but they you know they worked the land. That was part of the what you did when you grew up in the South. You know. So it's, it's part of a trajectory. I mean, I would like to think, you know, part of me would like to think that many African-Americans when they were free said, we're gonna leave here, we're gonna go other places. Now some did, but many didn't. Many stayed in the South, many stayed close to where they felt a certain sense of so-called comfort. You know, so it's a, this history of being a free black person in America after the Civil War is very complicated, you know? Because you're trying to figure out how to make a living, you're trying to figure out how to to survive in a place where basically your body is <coughs> you could be a victim any, at any moment. So the the trajectory that that Bill Trailer went on seems very clear to me. I mean, you know, becoming a farmer was an important sense of livelihood in the South. I mean, it wasn't. It's not. It's not. An ex, he wasn't an exception. You know, he wasn't an exception. He was. He was probably following the same trajectory that many, many men, black men and black women followed at that time. I mean, my 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 dad said that he, he worked the farm with his father, but he knew that at 19 in 1939, he said, I'm done. He didn't want to stay in the South anymore. I mean, that's when that was the great part of that great migration. So, you know, trailers trajectory just makes so much sense to me. So when I'm seeing the images that are depicted in the film that that, that Jeff did, you know, where you see him with women, you see him, you know, with the stovetop hat, you know, all these things just sort of make sense to me and under, me understanding again and cementing the history that I that I know. Yeah, and you mentioned sharecropping and in the film also tenant farming, which sounds a little bit like slavery 2.0 to me. 
I mean, well, some so many different ways. That it was. Really... It was. You know, it, it was. It was a way to keep people wedded to the land. Yeah. You know. Well, let's get <clears throat> let's get to the part of the the film. And I asked you earlier, Jeffrey, about sort of his style. Um, even though he may not want to be described as as an artist, he certainly was, and he certainly had a distinct style. And I right. love the way that you are able to um, track sort of the evolution of he, through his through his paintings, through his drawings, um, from the sort of the rudimentary part of it. Sort of, it felt like him learning how to express himself. But how would you describe? Well, um, let me start with when when I first you know, decided I was going to do this. I went down to Montgomery and Montgomery, because of urban, you know, urban redistricting, they kind of knocked the entire city down. And so it was very difficult to find the actual places where he worked. But we discovered uh, what we call built environments where they were already existing, like the fountain and the state house and the clock. And those became um, images for us that we realized he probably was seeing every day and he was using and incorporating that work into his uh, pieces. So you would see these platforms and you would see images that kind of went along with it. Remember, this is a guy who, you mentioned urban industrialization before. This is somebody who, because of the boll weevil blight and industrialization kind of got pushed out of farming into an urban environment. And, and it was kind of this, had to kind of reorganize his whole life in some way and to think that and to going to what sam said to think that that moment where he was able to take his ancestry his history his memories and put them all together and sit there and draw these images is kind of this i mean that's one thing that we never solved i mean we can look at the um the meat house or the you know, um, any of the objects that existed, buildings that existed on his land and say he derived some of his imagery from that. But how he like put that history all together in a three year time period is kind of a remarkable thing. And, and part of the reason I talk about whether he saw himself as an artist is they did have an art show of his work in, in a group called the New South in 1940. And when they brought him in to see the work sitting on the wall, he it was, it would, he felt very out of place. He didn't know how to kind of react to it in that environment. So it must have been sort of a mixed up topsy turvy sort of world for him. I wrote down some things that I was, as I was watching uh, the film Bill trailer, Chasing Ghosts, uh, that I felt. Um, and it's, and it's alluded to in the, in the film. And I, I love the, the people that you bring in to talk about Bill, sort of the art history people, the critics, and also people who just, feel this visceral attraction to his work. I'm going to single somebody out because for whatever reason really, really struck me. Um, Brad, Brad, is it Bradley Wood? Uh, Brad, Bradley? Radcliffe Bailey. Brad, I'm sorry. I, I didn't right. that. No, no, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I, for some reason, I sort of connected with him the most in terms of sort of how the, how he interpreted his work, uh, trailer's work. And so for some reason, there's something very, emotional about his work and i'm not sure i'm gonna i'm not sure i'm getting to the, where i want to be sam how would you react how do you react to to his work it, it, there's an iconography there there's 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 things in there that are feel very basic if that's the right word i'm not sure that's the right word well well for me when i when i watch when i look at radcliffe's work what i'm seeing is 
his generational, his understanding of the generational experience of the, Af the African-American experience, his use of photos, his use of other, other sort of artifice that he puts into his work just speaks to me as a child, of, a descendant of a family, a family from the South, both from Mississippi and Georgia. So, you know, I've, you know, I've interviewed Radcliffe like, like Jeff has, I've been to his home, I've seen his work. And I'm, you know, to me, Jeff's, Jeff's selection of Radcliffe, you know, in terms of telling the, helping to shape this story speaks cl clearly that Radcliffe understood what Trailer's work was all about and the connection to where he came from. The same kind of connection that Radcliffe sees when he does his own work. Yeah. And that's what makes him so special and such a unique standout in this film. You know, to me, he's a phenomenal artist, you know, head and shoulders above a lot of artists from my perspective. So I thought it was a great, great choice to select Radcliffe because he understands the importance of understanding our history and he's able to articulate it through his creativity, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, when you, you, when you mentioned the term, you know, Mike, about being an artist, what, what him and Trailer both have in common for me is a certain sense of understanding our history, but a certain understanding of the notion of craft and the impact of craft in shaping their vision, you know? And that's what it's all about, shaping their vision. And that's why he connects so well to, to, to what Bill, Bill Trailer was doing as an artist. Yeah. Well, that, that's, yeah, I, I wasn't aware to the degree that you were talking about with him and I, I disconnected with him and I, I really thought his insights were, yeah, for me, the most enriching uh, in the film. It's also kind of a, a, just to throw in something else, it's, it's a generational thing. He's trying to get back to his grandfather's world and trying to understand it. He uses an analogy of like looking into his grandfather's medicine chest, looking into the pine, um, you know, blanket chest that everybody's grandfather had up in the attic and looking inside of it and kind of finding that, finding that history and, and being able to incorporate that. And what, what Sam is doing in his most recent film on HBO about contemporary African-American artists, that's what a lot of those um, artists are doing. And um, I, I think there's a movement afoot like that. And it, it's why in some way trailer his um, his language that he developed, his, his visual language is as present now as it was in 1940 when he did it. Nothing's, the world hasn't changed very much, unfortunately, in some ways. But he, I think those, and, and Radcliffe would say this too, 50 years from now, those, those images will probably be relevant in some way. That's the thing. His art is timeless. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel, it just feels, yeah, it feels very visceral. And um, and it's very direct. There isn't a whole lot of outside or extraneous imagery in his in his work, from what I saw. It's very much about the moment, and there's a lot of energy in his work. I, I just found there was a lot of movement. It sort of it runs a little bit counter to his style, but it, nonetheless, he's he's able to convey that energy and movement. And there's a description in the film uh, that I thought was one of the best descriptions of jazz that I've ever heard, but it was about something else. It was about dance, right? That's right, in, an interpretation of what dance mm -hmm. is. is. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston talking about movement. Movement. And I thought it was an incredibly accurate description of jazz. And I, I don't know 
you know, what point to be made there, but it just struck me as a very similar sensibility. Sam, you want to jump on that? The other thing I was going to throw in to Mike about the movement is that if you look carefully at the drawings, he often like went right to the edge of something, you know, like he would be, and it would give this sense of movement that, um, you know, that's pretty remarkable. He, he, he had, he had control over so much in that regard. And that idea of the moment is so interesting. It's almost one wonders at his age, whether he was sort of just, you know, like those are, you know, he's dreaming it through in some way too. You know, it's, it's so ethereal at times, but simple on others. But I wanted to say that in that simplicity, trust me, in making a movie about him, trying to find all those layers to explain and get the feeling for those for that it's not so simple it might look it but it's not that's why i use dancers and readers and narrators who spoke as performers and performers who look like the silhouettes at times i mean i i was trying to kind of mix up how you you know not one view of what the work was but the multiple views yeah sam did you want to add well, I, hold on, I think I'm uh, Yeah, all I would say is I think he did an excellent job in doing exactly that, <laughs> using dance and music. He did it, it worked. I mean, but the thing to remember too, you know, Mike, is that African-American, the African-American cultural experience is both a musical one, a visual one, you know, and a, and a written one. And I think that Jeffrey understood that. So that's why it's important that you hear Zora Neale Hurston or hear Langston Hughes or see the young man who, who does the tap dancing, you know, or listen to Greg Tate talking about the connection between what Trailer was doing and the blues, the evolution of yeah, the, blues the blues in the South. All that speaks to the, to the impact and the importance of African-American culture, you know, in the American mindset, you know. So I, I, Jeff did it, I mean, he understood it. And, you know, he, and it speaks eloquently to him as, a, as both, not only as someone who loves Trailer, as you see he does, but also who understands the impact of the other forms of the African-American experience and how they all interconnect. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with the director of this wonderful new film called Bill Trailer Chasing Ghosts. And that would be Jeffrey Wolf, who's also known for a previous film, James Castle, Portrait of an Artist, as well as the producer, Sam Pollard, who we know from Eyes on the Prize and MLK FBI. Well, in the last minute I have with you, I just do want to uh, let people know they can go to a couple of different places to find out more about the film, and that would be Bill Trailer Chasing Ghosts, all one word, dot com. You can find out a lot about the film there. Also, Kino Lorber is the film distributor, and you can go to kinolorber.com and look for Bill Trailer. It's right there on the front page of the Kino Lorber distribution site. In terms of where we are with Bill Trailer's legacy, I kind of I feel a little weird talking about legacy, but nonetheless, the recognition that he richly deserves in, in terms of his work. What, if any, are we seeing? How is this sort of playing out? People watching the film, rediscovering him. Jeffrey, how is that sort of? Yeah, well, I'll tell you two things. If people want to do a deep dive, um, Leslie Emberger had an amazing show at the Smithsonian. It was the first show by an ex-slave ever a one-man show in a museum in the United States. Um, it was called Between Worlds, the Art of Bill Trailer. And, um, and that is uh, available you know, online. But the, the thing I'm, 
I'm working on now is I'm trying to set I'm trying to set up a Bill Trailer st uh, Study Center at our, at um, Alabama State University, where all the archives that I collected making the movie and several other people will donate their archives so that a study center can exist and we can move this forward. I mean, I look at this as a first step. I don't necessarily think that I told the whole story. I think there's a lot more of the story to be told. And Sam, um, one last thing. I just, in terms, I'm gonna go back to his lifespan, 1853 to 1949. The, the fact that in 1948, the Democrats introduced a plank to their platform, 1948 by Hubert Humphrey to essentially begin the, the, the civil rights uh, movement in terms of politically speaking, in, in terms of the, the political class. And Strom Thurmond walks out as a Dixiecrat. And the, sort of his lifespan took us right up to that point in American history. I just find it, I mean, there's so many things about him and his life that are illustrative of American history. But that for me was sort of one that I, I thought about when, when, uh, when, I, when I saw how long he lived. Well, all I would say is this, listen, the, the interconnection between Trailer's life and the arc of American history from the Emancipation Proclamation up to his death in 1949 is rich and complicated. And it's, I'm, I'm thankful that Jeffrey Wolf has been able to put together a film that documents yeah. a man's relevance and importance at such important junctures in American history. And that there was this brief period where he, he was so prolific as an artist that you know that his work will stand the test of time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you again. The film is called Bill Trailer Chasing Ghost. And we've been speaking with the director Jeffrey Wolf, as well as the producer, Sam Pollard. To both of you, thank you so very much for being here. Thanks, Thanks for being so you're so enthusiastic. I love it, Mike. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.